happy to be here. I'm so happy to be in front of you this morning. Um, I always come with fear and trepidation, but God is good. And uh, I know that he has a word for each one of us this morning. And so as we come into this moment of uh, prayer, uh, and I lay my heart before him, my prayer is that as much as this was a powerful word to me, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would live in you and reign in you this morning as my words go out. So I'm going to start with, um, I'm just going to start. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. God, this morning I thank you that you have made all things. You have made all things new, and this morning we stand here and acknowledge that without you, we are nothing. But with you, God, we are an awesome and a strong army equipped to serve both both you and each other, and then go out to the world and serve in the places that you send us to. We acknowledge that you are the life that we seek, that you are our way maker, that you are the light that shines in our dark places. Come this morning, God, and make the way clear for us. Shine your light on us this morning, God, so that we can see the beginning and the end that it is all about you. Open our eyes once again to the truth of your word, that we would walk in the freedom that you created us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to tell you this funny little story that happened to me yesterday, the day before. I was babysitting my little three-year-old granddaughter, and I was going over my notes and making adjustments and then running into the computer and making them there. And my little grandbaby, three years old, Lily, she said to me, Emma, what are you doing? She calls me Emma because she couldn't say grandma when she began, and I kind of adopted that one. Emma, what are you doing? She said. I said, well, I'm speaking this Sunday, so I'm just practicing and getting ready for it. And she looked at me, and she said, no, Emma, you're just my Emma. You know Pastor Ralph. You're not Pastor Ralph. And I looked down at her, that smart little thing, and I said, Amen, Lily. I am not Pastor Ralph. And so this morning, I want to honor Pastor Ralph as I tell that little story. Because let me tell you, over the 21 years or whatever that I've been in this church, he has always stood behind me as he stood behind each and every one of you. He's been my mentor, my teacher, the greatest preacher going We honor you, Pastor Ralph. That was was an icebreaker, okay? (laughs) Because I still stand here in fear and trepidation. But this morning, we're going to um, turn to Matthew 23. It's an astounding, astounding, astounding scripture. And... uh, you're going you're gonna to have to walk with me throughout this this morning to see what I mean when I say astounding, because 
It's relevant in each of our lives today. Stick with me, folks. So we're going to do verses 1 to 27. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make the phylacteries, phylacteries, I can't say that word. They're little boxes that they carry scriptures in. (laughs) Wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call on each fa- on earth's father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much of a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the inside, outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. I hope I didn't startle you with that opening, with that scripture. Stick with me this morning. I've titled this morning's message, Stepping Down to Stand Out. Please keep in mind that for me, as I tell this story that has rarely been told to anyone else, that a good title for this message would be Mercy That Sounded Mean. And if this story sounds a little pharisaical, please bear with me as we take this 3D, bigger-than-life journey together this morning. I can be a workaholic by nature. That can be a definite downfall with my personality. I like schedules, love agendas, thank you, Rudy. I love them. I like things to be in place. When I retired, one of the first things I did was set myself up on a schedule. No game time for me. I get up on time, I read the Bible, do my devotions, I took a course, work out a routine through the day, go to meetings, go to church, go to bed on time. After 18 months of retirement, I think I'm slowly learning to relax a little bit, but that's very slowly. I'm intrigued and like to read about the Pharisees. Do you find that odd? I don't. And if I told you the true story this morning, a true story this morning, which I'm going to tell you, you will understand. There are very few people I've ever told this story to, and the few that I have almost fell off their chairs in horror. And t- so I hope that when I tell you this story, just bear with me, we're going to get there. But I also hope this morning that when I tell you this story, you will all gasp. But chances are that you won't because to understand the root of this story, which takes us again back to what happened in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, at the time of the great fall with Adam and Eve, is to recognize that at some point in our lives, we all have to face the fact that everyone, no matter who we are, have a potential within us to be a Pharisee, even if it's only momentary. And I pray going forward, for me in particular, that these moments are only momentary. I remember the story vividly. It was approximately 22 years ago, and I was standing in the doorway of the sanctuary of the church that I attended at that time. Let me give you some history to my life at that time. Warning, I will undoubtedly sound like a Pharisee in the following description, but after all, that's the theme of my discussion this morning. At the time of this story, there were very few things that I was not involved in at the church where I attended. 
from finances to women's ministries to part-time in the office. Hey, I was prophetic and I spoke in tongues. Yeah, I read the Bible. I attended Bible studies regularly. I went to church three times a week. My list was impeccably clean and impressive, I thought. Until that Sunday morning, that moment when I stood in the doorway to the sanctuary and I heard a voice, not an audible voice, not even an angry voice, but a strong and a sure voice, which came to me and spoke one line that would change my life forever in how I serve God. I didn't know it then, but it was indeed mercy that sounded mean. Because in that moment, God said to me, you are like a whitewashed tomb. I stopped. I looked around, probably hoping that no one else had heard it. And then I thought, surely God, you don't mean me. Surely to goodness, he understood that all I was doing was because I loved him and desired to serve him. God, I said, I have no underlying motives, no aspirations, no agenda, right? And then, as I continued to my seat, God spoke to me again and said, if I took away everything you had, would you still love me? I stopped, I sat down, and responded in the only way that I knew and said, of course I would, Lord. I felt safe in the knowledge that no one else was jumping at these positions, safe in the knowledge that there were very few in the congregation, I thought, that were willing or even able to take over some of these duties, and safe in the knowledge that perhaps, Just perhaps, I was not eager to give these duties over, even if someone did want them. Because, in reality, it all came down to building and guarding my own identity and reputation found in these things. I wonder if that is what plagued the Pharisees. I wonder if their identity was so wrapped up in what they did and how they looked and how they talked and how they walked, what they owned and what they wanted to own, that they really couldn't see that Jesus was what Jesus was offering them. A life of true meaning, a life of eternity spent with him. I wonder if the Pharisees couldn't see that the greatest gift of all was standing in front of them, that Jesus was offering them true identity, that said, I am God's child, a friend of Jesus Christ. I've been justified. I'm united with the Lord, and I am one with him in the Spirit. I wonder if they just couldn't see it. I am so thankful for God's mercy in that moment. 
that sounded mean. Little did I know, however, that at the very moment when God spoke to me, in that very moment when I said, of course I love you, Lord, and didn't see that things could possibly be taken away from me, that shortly down the road, in fact, that very year, God would call me out of that particular church and move me into this one, Grand Valley, where I stepped into an entry level of service. Entry level meaning that when I looked around, there was no notable area of service waiting for me. There was no level of service that had my name on it. I remember sitting way back in the back row on my first Sunday here. Nothing, nothing had my name on it. I noted that there was already a Sunday school. There was already a women's ministry. There were people who prophesied and spoke in tongues. In my books, they did not need me. But God had a plan. How many know this morning that for every move you make, God has a plan? In that moment, my new life of service to Christ began its journey. As I I started to walk it out, determined to overcome the loss, the confusion, the pain, and the rejection of the situation, and find my way home to the Father, I was reminded of God's word spoken to me a month prior. If I took everything that you have, would you still love me? During the first few months of attending Grand Valley Church, I remember going to Pastor Ralph and saying, Pastor, I'm just not sure I belong here. I don't know what to do. In Pastor's wisdom, he simply replied, do you remember this, Pastor Ralph? Probably not. But you replied, Deb, statistics show that sometimes it can take up to five years to feel like you belong. Be patient. I sat down to go the long haul, to find my place under the wall and to watch and wait. And do you know, can you believe, I don't know what day that was on the calendar, but I think it was almost five years to the day I'm sure that I finally took my place on the wall at Grand Valley. But during those five years, I saw God working things into me teaching me that truly if we don't have him first in everything we do, if we don't have love, compassion, and mercy, we are indeed like clanging cymbals, marching to the beat of the Pharisee. I recently read a quote that said, achieving is a great way to feel empty. So I ask, what are we filling our lives up with today? The things of this world? Things that will only burn up in the end? Or those things that last forever? The word, relationship with God, love for one another. In Revelations, 
chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, God spoke to the church in Ephesus. He said, I have this one thing against you. You do not love me as you did at first. Remember how you once loved me. Be sorry for your sin and love me again as you did at first. I'm sorry, I get so thirsty up here. During this time, God was renewing my love for him. When everything else that I had counted as important had been taken away, he was faithfully renewing the most important thing that I would ever need, and that was him, my relationship with God the Father. In John chapter 21, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times, Jesus answered him, then tend my sheep. That is, care for those around you who care for God. I wonder if that is what God is saying to each one of us today as we go through change, whether it's in our own lives or in our church. I went through substantial change to learn this important lesson, and I truly now believe that in the midst of any kind of change, in the midst of losing everything else, comes the extraordinary opportunity to gain even more than what we left. We have the opportunity to love God more, to love his people more, to love the things of God's kingdom more than we love the things of this world. To show others that their true identity is not in the things that they can do, but in who they are because of whose they are. Through his grace and mercy, we are given the opportunity to recognize that each one of us is significant to God, important to God, and highly valued by God, that each one of us is worth more to God than we could ever, ever, ever imagine. We are made in the image of God, and we are priceless. Matthew 10, 29 to 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a small coin? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's knowledge. Even all the hairs of your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. How could I have known that at that moment by the sanctuary door, that this lesson would become one of the greatest lessons I would learn to date? The lesson of humility, of true servanthood, of loving God more than anything else that I could ever acquire in this life, even under the umbrella of what I thought was my service to him. The Pharisees' lives were filled with service, doing things for people, but mostly needing to be seen in front of those same people for their own glory. Jesus addressed their hypocrisy continuously. And I love the book of Matthew and the book of Luke where I don't know how many times 
Jesus used the word hypocrites. And I love that I can just picture that he was not afraid to look directly into their eyes and say the truth, let them know the truth. When they wouldn't listen, however, Jesus warned the crowds not to be like them, not to listen to their teachings, instructing people on things that they could not or would not even practice themselves, roadblocks to God's kingdom. In the book of John, the 13th chapter, we see God's greatest description of servanthood when it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of their love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to watch the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. At that moment, Jesus stepped down to stand out for us, to show us the true meaning of servanthood. In the Message Bible, Matthew 23, verse 11, asks us, do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, be who God created you to be, your life will count for plenty. I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, I want my life to count for plenty. In my devotion this morning, I love how God speaks to me and confirms things to me. It said, carry your position on your knees in prayer. And this morning, I don't know what your position is, but all of us have a position. Whether you're on the door to the sanctuary, whether you're on the registration desk, whether you're someone who mops the floors and dusts the furniture, you have position. And the God is saying to us, carry your position on your knees in prayer. When we bend our knees, when we bow our hearts to pay honor to the one to whom we owe all, when we lay all things at his feet, we stand out. God sees us. And to this beautiful young lady right there, I don't know who you are, but God sees you. He loves you. He wants to raise you up into heavenly places. When we are content to be who God created us to be, not putting on airs, not puffing ourselves up, not being caught up in the same blindness that choke the Pharisees, we stand out. When we agree to love others, to step down from what we perceive as places of honors, as the world would see it, to be a servant of all, 
we stand out. When the world sees that we would give up everything, that we would become nothing in order that he would become everything, we stand out. It may cost us everything. It may take five years like it did me to get back with the Father. But it's worth every step. And I want to encourage you with that. This morning, I want to, they're going to play a song, amazing song. I've never heard this song. I don't even know who sings it, but it came through my email just on the morning that I was saying, are you sure you want to give me this word, God? But I want you to listen to this song. And when you listen to this song, I want you to just put your heart before God. And if you're holding on to anything today, that you need God to just take it away so that your path will be clear to know him more than you've ever known him before, to serve him with more humility than you've ever served him before, to walk with him closer than you've ever walked with him before. Just take this time as we play this song and lay it out before our Father God. Amen.